This is a National Arts Center podcast. Welcome to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this podcast, Kathy chats with Jean Grandmet, artistic director of Alberta Ballet and choreographer, about the ballet Joni Mitchell's The Fiddle and the Drum that closes the NEC 2018-2019 dance season. This signature work was co-created with the iconic singer-songwriter. Jean Grandmet, welcome back to our Hexagon studio for another dance podcast. It's good to be here. It's so great to have you. You were last interviewed in French um, a number of years ago. Since then, of course, you've created so many works for Alberta Ballet, including this fantastic evening with the beloved Joni Mitchell, Fiddle and the Drum. Yes. I'm very excited. We're welcoming you back in May 2019. You're going to close out the NAC dance season of 1819 with Joni Mitchell's The Fiddle and the Drum. This is, you, you talk about this as a contemporary ballet with an anti-war and environmental message that was created 10 years ago. You know, I read in the Joni Mitchell biography, Reckless Daughter, that this all started with you writing her a letter. What prompted you to do that? How did this all begin? Well, it's, 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 it was amazing because I was very skeptic that Joni would uh, be interested in creating a ballet. And what we did was we sent a letter to her agent at the time who was in Vancouver, Sam Feldman Agency. And um, we were trying to celebrate our 40th anniversary that year. We wanted to do something very special. And I first started thinking about Beethoven symphonies, something in with the full orchestra and chorus. And, and then a friend had recommended Joni Mitchell. Well, that's completely opposite to Beethoven in some ways, isn't it? <laughs> Couldn't it be more opposite? Really? Than, the other end of the spectrum. And she was actually born in Alberta in Fort McLeod and uh, grew up in Saskatoon. That's and, funny because we often think of her as a Saskatoonian. But yes, you're right. She was an Albertan. I think at the age of four. Okay. She moved to Saskatoon with okay. her family. And so it was interesting, this idea that maybe Joni Mitchell would be interested in, in uh, allowing us to create a ballet inspired by her music. Did you know her music very well even then? I, I knew all the hits, okay. all the great Joni Mitchell hits, but I didn't really know her entire anthology. And this is something I've learned to do when I work on these portrait ballets, is study the, the, the singer-songwriters inside out. <coughs> and so what happened was uh, I sent a letter uh, with a few photos of her company and a project proposal. And and she received the letter, and apparently she says no to almost every project proposal that came her way. She had been in retirement for almost 12 years when I sent wow. the letter. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so I thought it was a long shot, but uh, lo and behold, I get a, an email from her agent saying she'd like to meet me in Los Angeles. You, you wrote this beautiful letter, please forgive my somewhat imperfect English as I am a native of Quebec and I'm still brushing up on this new language. Yes. I just, I mean, who wouldn't be uh, completely intrigued by that? It's just beautiful. Uh, uh, yeah, and I didn't, I wanted the letter to really come from me. 
not uh, someone who would help me write it. Uh, and I think that actually was interesting because it touched her. And a few of the photos we sent with some ballerinas dancing in the Canadian prairies really touched her as well because she's a prairie girl. And uh, so I went to meet her in Los Angeles. It was uh, in uh, Beverly Hills in a restaurant that she had selected because she could smoke on the terrace <laughs> at that time. <laughs> and uh, we met uh, what I thought would be a two-hour dinner, and it turned out to be a six-hour uh, meeting and uh, an extraordinary encounter. And uh, she was very interested in the proposal because for her, uh, dance, her poetry, her words, her music all came together in her visual art because I was also proposing that she design the set design that she create the visual environment for the dancers and she agreed to do it all in, the, in our first dinner which Amazing. was I, when I came home from that trip I, I was really uh, uh, awestruck no kidding yeah. and then you worked together for a number of years before this project materialized well we we programmed it for the following year so we had 12 months to create the okay. ballet so it was a quick creation time for her uh, because, you know, they work a long time on their albums, these singer-songwriters. But she was so excited about the project that, uh, and at the time it was a one-act ballet, not a full-length creation. Right, but, I think when I saw it at the beginning, you did it on the other side of a balancing piece or something like that on the program. Yes, Is that we right? had, yeah. but that's right, it was a <coughs> serenade. Serenade, right. And it opened, and Joni loved that ballet. She was in awe of the dancers, and uh, she fell in love with the dancers, you know, for her. This was one of the most joyous projects of her life, she later said on the, you know, in the media often saying how, uh, what a beautiful collaboration it was, because there was almost, I'd say, 35 of us working on the ballet between the dancers, the designers, and the choreographer. Uh, it really made a nice big family. But, you know, some people, when you're around someone that famous, not that you aren't also very famous in our oh, dance world, Jean Gamet, but, <laughs> you know, then, you know, there's a tendency to sort of do whatever they want. Yes. But when I had the good fortune to meet her briefly through you several years later, I had a real sense that... You know, you were her choreographer and she was working alongside you. So how did you negotiate that kind of relationship with somebody who isn't used to having people have that push and pull? I think she gave me a little bit more leeway because dance wasn't a vernacular that she'd mastered like music. But at the same time, after studying her and talking to a lot of musicians who've collaborated with her over the years, guitarists, drummers, uh, sax players, you know, some of the most famous musicians of our time. They all said that collaborating with her was a great joy. The Mingus album, you know, all those jazz albums as well. And that she would say to them, you know, come in here like a bird singing and roll out like water here. Wow. And hover in the middle. And that's the kind of imagery she'd give me as well when, I, when we were talking about the ballet. And so she's an amazing collaborator. And I think many, many musicians will say that some of their best recordings were uh, produced by Joni Mitchell. How did you come about um, choosing some of the themes and the songs? I mean, as you say, you studied her whole catalog, which, you know, is, is enormous, of course, and so far ranging. How did you, how did the two of you decide which songs to focus on and how to tie them together? Well, that was a, a huge uh, question because it's it's it encompasses everything in the sense that now I've worked with six singer songwriters. This was the first, right? The Joni first opened the doors, ballet. and because she's so respected in the music industry, she helped open a lot of doors. Elton John wanted one, and then uh, we approached Katie Lang, Sarah McLaughlin, tragically hip Gordon Lightfoot. You know, I've been blessed, but Joni taught me everything. She taught me how to to approach this type of creation because she. 
basically, I, before I met her, I'd worked six months on a script. And then I, when I threw her the idea, she didn't like it. You know, it was based on her life or a portrait of her life, and she didn't want that. And she said to me at the time, look at what's happening to the planet and look at what's happening. There was a war in Iraq that was, it was very, very violent. And so the wars were ongoing and the depletion of our ecology and our environment, it was ongoing. And that's what really mattered to her. And that's what she wanted the ballet to be about. And, you know, bless her, she didn't hang up her beads like so many did from the 60s. Uh, she's still fighting for causes that mean a lot to her and her music, and she did that through the 80s and 90s. So she had a, a different idea of where the ballet should go, and we ended up at her house, and she showed me a lot of her artwork, and her recent artwork, which is featured now in the ballet. Uh, it was all about war, environmental collapse, and and so it, this is 2006, you have to remember. Uh, and uh, Everything that she sings about in the ballet, everything that she warned us about now is happening. So 10 years later, this ballet will be very chilling, I think, in a way. And she she was about the environment, you know, way before even Greenpeace. When you look at when she wrote uh, Big Yellow Taxi, that was David Suzuki was surprised to hear when we met him how early in the game she was, Amazing. you know, for the environment. and. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it was interesting because this uh, impetus, she had this passion for these themes, held, uh, it's inspired her to now want to create the set design and the soundtrack. And so she chose with me the songs, but we chose songs together that related to these themes of war, the environment, neglect. And so the theme brought us to the songs. She wrote four new songs for the ballet, which we premiered at the time, which was Beyond Belief, on top of uh, designing the sets. And that's, so we, un that's unbelievable because, yeah. again, as you said at the beginning, she's virtually retired from the music world. And yes, and, you know, I didn't know that she was writing a new album, actually. It was a big secret. And she'd been recording with just a few musicians, and some of those songs were premiered in the ballet before her album Shine was released, which was her latest, last album of comp composed new work. Right. So it was fantastic that uh, she wanted to get involved and we ended up spending two and a half years together creating this ballet. So you made the first uh, act of it in 2008-9 season. Yes. And then, is that correct? The first oh. act was 2006-7. 2006-7, right. And 7-8 was when we created, we added five new songs and made it a full-length ballet with an intermission in the middle. Okay. Yeah. So she's not only invested, she continues to be invested. How did your relationship change over that time? Oh, it, it was interesting. I know because, you're still friends today, so... Oh, we're yeah. very close. Yeah. And uh, we, we found uh, a very close friendship in this process and... From the very beginning, a lot of trust. Uh, she she had a lot of ideas, all of them brilliant. She is a genius, and you know, one of the rare geniuses I've met in my life. And uh, as as she grows older now, and she's celebrating her seventy fifth birthday this year, uh, there's uh, a lot of galas happening and homages and tributes across North America and Europe. I I, I just uh, feel that uh, as I grow older, she's led me on so many different artistic paths. And she's uh, taught me to stay very, very close to my ideas and have integrity that way, you know. And uh, when you say uh, different artistic paths, can you give me an example of what that is? Well, she opened my mind to all kinds of new music, you know. In ballet, we we tend to gravitate towards orchestral music, and uh, her music is so rich in in her, harmonically, rhythmically, in every way, and the, the lyrics are so brilliant. Mm -hmm. 
And in, she's recorded masterpieces in every genre. I always call her the Stanley Kubrick of music <laughs> because Kubrick made a masterpiece in every genre mm -hmm. and she did as well, mm -hmm. blues, jazz. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, uh, and, and you know what's interesting is that uh, what I've learned the most from her is to have courage in, in what you want to say and how you're going to say it. And once you're done, to pat yourself on the back a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, to be proud of uh, something you've done. And then uh, that way, she's the most inspiring person I've ever met. That's amazing. And did she, like, I know this is going to sound a bit silly, but did she ever say, no, Jean, you should go left instead of going right? Like, did she want to also implicate herself in the movement and the choreography? She did. She did. And when she did, she was right. Really? <laughs> I, yeah. There was moments where... She said, look, I'm, I'm singing about misery here. I'm singing the word misery. And the dancers are stretching away from their center. They should be compressing. Wow. And, uh, yes, and at the other point, she maybe had, when she saw the whole ballet the first time, she maybe had eight notes. There wasn't that many, all, all of them very pertinent. At one point, she said, just freeze the dancers here because I'm singing about a red light and let them start a little later. And that moment in the ballet when they freeze is one of the strongest moments that everyone tells me. So she really had a good eye because she's a painter. And being a painter makes her a visual artist. And she even says that when she composes music, it's like painting brush strokes, adding layers. And, and so in that way, she really had an extraordinary eye to watch dance. And then she edited the film of the ballet and she edited that film for six months. Uh, down to the hundredth of a second and her assistant editor said she was just extraordinary to work wow. with so she created a visual painting of the ballet if you can if you have a chance to see the film as a separate documentary yes but can you explain to people what's going on visually in the ballet what her i mean i know how strong and beautiful your choreographer is what were the visual components that she contributed to to make that ballet well we have uh, three ways First, she, she had a very strong sense of the color palette the ballet should be in. She had been taking photographs of her television for over a year with, with uh, digital cameras because her, her camera, had, her television had broken and the screen was pulsating in colors of green, champagne, yellows, jades. But she was watching all these war images from Iraq in, in this aesthetic, you know, and it, it really struck her. So she started taking photos of her television. And then she started developing triptychs. So one was a Bob's B. Berkeley film photo. Another one was a war in Iraq, um, people being imprisoned. And so it was all these images that were so impactful. And through that filter of that green jade filter, they became almost uh, mythical images. And, uh, and so from these photos, which were projected in the ballet as a background, so there's a circular screen above the dancers. She called it God's Eye. And uh, on that screen uh, appears a lot, almost uh, 80 different artworks, which she edited to the beat of the music, to the, 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 the pluck of a guitar string. And so she worked down that, that, the rhythm of that video down to the greatest detail. And then the characters that appear on that screen are green, yellow, and we decided we were going to body paint the dancers as if though they walked right out of her paintings onto the stage and they bring to life her characters and her stories and her lyrics. Gorgeous. Yeah. How, how was it for the dancers to work with her? Was it difficult for them to embrace this approach, to work in this way with a composer of they such stature? They loved it. They loved it. They didn't meet her till the very end. You know, I met her a lot through the creative process, but they did meet her at the very end. Uh, and before that, they just loved her music. And 
when often when dancers dance to vocal music, it could be Latin, the Mozart Requiem, you know. They, but these words, when you're singing to songs written in English, you understand the words and the lyrics. It, it actually inspires them deeply as they're performing. They've said that often. And then she came to the studios uh, the week before we opened, watched rehearsals. That's when she gave me some of her notes and fell in love with the dancers. It was a, a real beautiful moment to see her joy. And uh, it was, I think, uh, one of the happiest moments for her in a long time. That took, and also these songs were songs that meant a lot to her. Songs about the, the environment and war. And they were songs from the 80s and the 90s. Not the decades for which, which she's most famous for but a prolific uh, period in her life. I looked again at all the lyrics for Fiddle and the Drum in, um, you know, before I was going to be talking to you. And like the National Arts Centre, it's celebrating its 50th anniversary this year in 2019. So how are those lyrics still relevant today? Well, as I was saying earlier, they they talk about abandoned love, uh, which we see so much now in politics, the, the the mood of fear and intolerance and uh, lack of compassion. So they sing of love, they sing of decency, they sing of how to care for the world. And then they warn us of what will happen, the lakes that will dry up, uh, climate change. And she has such a powerful way of singing about, because she's a great poet. So it, it hits you in the gut, these difficult words. And at the same time, the melodies are so sublime that uh, it has a, I think it increases the power of the lyrics because you can see what she wanted to do with this ballet was to be able to show what humanity can do at its most beautiful and at its worst. And and that's the genius, I think, of Joni Mitchell's songs is in many of her lyrics, you will have that contrast in the very same song. And, uh, and you know, the, as she said once, a song without that moment of clarity is just complaining. (laughs) And so for her, the ballet also had moments of clarity and hope. So there's a lot of hope that if humanity can have compassion for the planet and for each other, we can find our way out of this mess. So besides the the sort of anniversary markings of Fiddle on the Drum and 10 years, what's it like to revisit something like that after all this time? What's it like for you to go back and remount this work for your home season and for the NAC? Well, we're hoping Joni will join us, uh, possibly here in Ottawa or in Alberta. She really wants Ottawa, to join Ottawa, we us. vote for Ottawa. That yes. would be great. <laughs> I, would, I would love it because she's had a lot of love-ins now in the U.S. for her 75th birthday, and we could give her a big hug here yeah, at the National yeah, Arts Centre. Yeah, we will talk about that in a second. Yeah. But but you're going back, you're kind of yes. dusting off something. You've, you've, as you mentioned before, have created all these other ballets, some pop ballets, some contemporary yes. ballets some classical, you go back to something from 10 years ago. So on the one hand, you're listening to those lyrics and recognizing, as you said, the resonance of those truths in the world today, and in some cases even more so perhaps, given what we're facing in the world today. But the actual steps and the dancers and... I just, we we were going to start in January, remounting the ballet, and I can't wait to be back in the room with that music and there's only two dancers from the original cast that are left. So Very. for all the dancers, it's a new ballet. Uh, and I'm, I just, there's two ways I'm looking at it. I can't wait to be- get back in the studio with her voice and her music and those beautiful dancers and bring it back to life for her, knowing that she wants to come and see it. I can't wait also to revisit all the beautiful lighting and how this wonderful creation was made. It's going to have so many memories for us. And then... I'm thinking about the content of the ballet and, and the dire warnings and 
the plea for love and compassion that she does probably better than most singer-songwriters on the planet. And how uh, it's it's actually, when I re-looked at the ballet just recently to get ready to restage it, it gave me a bit of a chill, you know, I have to say, because of, at the time, I even thought, you know, what she was saying would happen would happen a hundred years from now, but it's happening now, the fires in California. She was actually evacuated from her own house during one of those fires. Oh. It filled up with smoke and in less than a half hour and they got her out just in time and then the house didn't burn down. But you miraculously, know, she, miraculously, and she, they brought her back the week later, and uh, she she'd been singing, writing about this, you know, thirty years ago. Nobody really listened, and we thought it would happen two generations from now, and it isn't. So I think the ballet is probably one of the most relevant ballets I've ever created that way because of Joni That's Mitchell. It's amazing. It's you know, and, and you mentioned, of course, we're still celebrating her, and thankfully she's still with us and you know we we do hope that she is part of this whole celebration with with the company and with these performances but let's just talk a little bit about what that led you to because i think the next project that you did was with elton john yes. right who you know in is also an iconic songwriter and and music maker but a very different process for you it, yes. we've had the opportunity of showing that piece and many other of your portrait ballets haven't gotten here yet yes uh, still to come but you know what what is it about these you become known now um, for doing these incredibly interesting signature ballets with these iconic uh, pop composers. Well, it was interesting because it, it, it didn't, it wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, it, as I was saying earlier, Joni was for our 40th anniversary, wanted something special. And the BBC came, the CBC did a whole documentary about it. We were on the front page of the New York Times Arts and Leisure section. It was unbelievable what Alberta Ballet received as uh, media attention. They were, there was paparazzi at the door. I'd never seen that for a ballet. And then artistically, it was such a rich, profound adventure that we had together that we knew that developing more ideas brings in a new audience as well, which is the biggest challenge we all have now is how do you find portals? And this became a portal we knew immediately, not just for younger, but all demographics. Joni Mitchell fans reach all demographics. And so we continued and what we were thinking about more Canadian singer songwriters, but I got a call one Friday afternoon and it was from Elton John's right hand man in my office. I picked up the phone and I, I thought it was a joke, but no, Elton wanted to meet us backstage. He was touring through Calgary and uh, invited 10 dancers, gave us front row seats and we met him before the show in his dressing room. And he was, uh, he's a huge fan of Joni Mitchell. I mean, uh, it's, uh, for him, she's a goddess. And uh, so he wanted a DVD of the ballet. He wanted to know all about what she did and how she collaborated. And so we gave him a DVD of the ballet and he went home. And uh, three months later, we sent him an email saying, would he uh, enjoy us creating a ballet to his music? And I got an answer within five minutes. I thought it would take months. And I had an answer. In five minutes, come and meet Mr. Elton John in Las Vegas. He's performing and uh, we met and uh, met a few times before we premiered the ballet to talk about the creation. And then he took me on a whole different path. You know, it was, it was going to be about his life, about all the causes for which he raises money, whether it's uh, alcoholism, addiction, repression, all the, what he suffered from in his own life, all the, now he's raising money for these causes, hundreds of millions of dollars. So he wanted the ballet to tackle actually his own life to uh, inspire people to not uh, be afraid to tackle these issues. 
a very different will, if you if you may, than than Joni Mitchell. Um, yes. And I, I noticed the other day that there now that there's a movie that's going to come out next summer yes. called Rocket Man, which all about it looks uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, it does. The same director as Billy Elliot. Aha, uh-huh, that's right. Yes, the trailer looks great. Uh, but you know, uh, Joni was a neoclassical ballet and, and some contemporary work in there as well. Elton became more of a cabaret because Elton's music led to that aesthetic naturally. So each singer-songwriter brought us into a completely different aesthetic. So no no two portrait ballets really look alike in, in vocabulary or in how we created the ballet aesthetically. Do you have plans to revisit some of them in the way that you're revisiting Johnny Mitchell's Fiddle and the Drum? Oh, yes, I hope so, you know. And I think some of them I'd like to re-choreograph sections as well, you know, choreographers. We love revisiting work. With Joni, I'm going to try to change it as little as I can to leave it exactly as she last saw it so that when she sits in the theater, she's going to say... I remember every moment. Yeah, your last, the last uh, one that I got a chance to see was Our Canada with Gordon Lightfoot, yes. which of course came out in 2017. Yes. But since then, you've done this fantastic uh, ballet featuring the music of the Tragically Hip. Yes. Sort of on the heels of us all losing Gore Downey. And that was a big Canadian yes. uh, experience called All of Us Huge. that I guess we'll get to see uh, at some point uh, yes. down the road. May- summer maybe of 19, soon, yes. Summer or fall of 19. So that's great. Yeah. Um, who's going to be next? Well, you know, I'm working on three of them because uh, for every singer we manage to convince, there's a few who are not convinced okay. <laughs> along the way. Of course, that's but, reality uh, check. That's yes. really interesting to share that. Oh, yeah. It's not as easy as people think. You have to have a way to connect with the musicians directly. If it just goes to the agent, it doesn't always get to the musicians. And that's why I noticed how lucky we were with Sam Feldman and Joni Mitchell because he sent her the package and it was the first one out the gate. But because of the success we've had, it's been getting easier and easier now to encourage musicians. So now I'm working on David Bowie, and we're very close, but we're not confirmed yet. Okay. But uh, we have a whole project designed, and we've been talking with them for almost two months now about it. So uh, it's interesting to see how big it can be and also how intimate. For me, there's some singers like Katie Lang, who was from Alberta. That really hit home when we premiered that ballet in Alberta, but she was an extraordinary collaborator as well. I've been, I've been lucky to work with all these singer-songwriters. They're brilliant. They've lasted the decades. They're not just the flavor of the month singer-songwriters. That, that's one of the other things I noticed. You know, like a Sarah McLaughlin song comes on the radio from her peak period or even not. Yes. And people still respond to it. Same thing, of course, KD, like, Yes. You know, the, the, the popularity, I mean, she was at the National Arts Centre recently and the popularity is, is still enormous. They're in the pantheon now. They really are, but they yes. still are out there performing, which is which is quite wonderful. Well, they always say they're going to retire, but then they don't. It's like Cher. <laughs> they, they, can't, they love singing, you know, it's, it's in their blood. One thing I've realized from working with so many singer-songwriters and getting to meet them is that most singer-songwriters vibrate a love and a compassion in their heart, and that's why they make music. It's I think they're always making music somehow in their subconscious, and uh, the they're just extraordinary beings of uh, Sarah McLaughlin, the most giving, generous person I've met, and uh, wanting to help us in every way to, for the ballet to be successful. So it's been a joy and a, a great, uh, inspiring some people might say, oh, you're better off with Shostakovich and uh, Stravinsky. Well, and, uh, and listen, as a choreographer, you rise to all kinds of these occasions. You know, we were so oh, yes. fortunate to work with you also in 2017 on Encounters when yes. you did a new contemporary ballet for us with a new composition, a new score by Andrew Staniland. And that's, you oh, know, yes. that was a highlight of, of our year. And, and I think it's important also that different types of composers and musicians keep pushing you as well. Some yes. who are well-known in the pop icon but for me Joni Mitchell is uh, as important to Canadian culture as Glenn Gould 
Absolutely. You know, and they, they've played an important part in showing Canadian heart and aspirations and dreams to the rest of the world. How does Joni feel about those early songs? Oh, she has mixed feelings about all of them. Like Big Yellow Taxi, for example, which got played every single day during her 75th birthday celebrations. Oh, yes. Oh, did it? Yeah, oh, yes. a lot. It was the, it was a featured song. That oh, got, that's you know, fantastic. Because yeah, people were making the same point, is that here we are, how many year, decades later, and this is a very important song for us to be listening to. I, I think as I, I, I went to visit Joni two weeks ago and uh, saw the most peaceful person, uh, happy and joyous and... She was nervous about this big gala at the L.A. Uh, Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. And movie LA stars Center, yeah. and music stars, everybody was there for her. I don't think I've ever seen a Canadian get an homage like that. And the night before I saw her and I said, how do you feel about tomorrow and the big gala? And she said, I'm very nervous. I'm a bit overwhelmed. And I said, think about it as two giant arms coming to give you a giant hug of love, you know. And that's how she smiled all night and she took it in that way. And uh, in that, beautiful. she's become wiser with time. She was, you know, quite a feisty woman because she was in the music industry when no women were. There was maybe four or five of them. Mm -hmm. And the, the record industry was tough on her and the media on rock stars wasn't always the nicest. So she she had a lot of reasons to be uh, hiding away, I think, in, for an artist of her stature. I was listening um, a couple of weeks ago to Miles of Isles, which is, of course, yes. the live recording. And she says this wonderful thing to the crowd in that. And she says... You know, nobody ever asked Van Gogh to paint a starry night again, but it's the kind of thing people always ask pop musicians to play that song again. And, yeah. You know, it, it, that, that um, recording was from when she was just a young woman. and and But she says it with a certain kind of tenacity and a message to the audience, like, respect the artists, man. Like, don't don't push us to just be you know, star-making machinery. Like, exactly. it's just, you know, don't don't push us to just be commodities. Like her song also, For the Roses. Mm -hmm. I heard the applause. It was like the wind in the Arbutus tree. Yes. And there's something about uh, her words that capture uh, the, the ephemeralness and the superficiality of stardom. The music industry for her was like the rat on the spinning wheel, and she didn't want to be part of that business. She wanted a true musical adventure. Every album she experimented and, uh, you know, masterpieces in the blues, jazz, rock, uh, folk, of course. Okay, but not to put, put too much on the stardom, tell us how that night was. How was the hour? <laughs> <laughs> I was starstruck. I'm sure you were. We it saw was all beautiful kinds of to see that, you know, people from greatest actors and actresses to singer-songwriters came to honor her. She looked like Georgia O'Keefe out there in the theater, you know, she was... Uh, the queen of them all and uh, she just was very humbled about it as well very touched by all the singers who had to perform her songs poor poor singers they're so hard her songs and they did a great job but you realize just how brilliant she was when other singers interpret her songs and uh, and so in that way it was so it's such a fabulous night and uh, to see that a canadian artist is so beloved across all other art forms not just in the music industry and they gave her a beautiful indigenous homage where they gave her the name of, uh, I think, a sparkling white bear woman. And uh, and that's the second highest honor you can receive from the indigenous communities of Canada. So there was a very Canadian touch to the whole evening and the gala and the dinner afterwards. Uh, and so that was uh, really special, that uh, the whole decor on stage and in the dining area was inspired by Canadiana. 
and it was beautifully done. I love that that um, the music center did that and was sensitive to that. It's quite wonderful. Oh, that they, they had were, that they in mind. They worked hard on that. Even the food, everything, and uh, they videoed. Uh, Joni's property in BC where she spends half the year. Well, she hasn't been there in many years now since she's been sick and she really misses it. That's where she wrote almost all her songs. And so there, she has this view over off the Sunshine Coast in BC and they went and filmed it. And then they projected it during the entire dinner. So she had a live video feed of her of her property in BC. She could see the birds and the water moving. Oh, and, that's beautiful. Yes, she was so touched. It's really, really spectacular. They did a very nice job. Well, we're thrilled that you're bringing this ballet to us in May. Now, you mentioned, before I let you go, you mentioned that there's, she made a film, that there was a film of Joni Mitchell's The Fiddle and the Drum. Is that a a film that people can see and download? You can order it online for sure. Okay. Uh, It's online and it's also now on DVD, on Blu-ray. I think it actually was because it's gone cult. You know, everything she does goes cult. Yes. And uh, it's, I, I get uh, emails from friends in Argentina and uh, England. They saw it. And uh, so there's... Well, a, maybe you'll have to bring a bunch of copies along with the um, soundtrack, which I understand is also uh, published as a, a separate soundtrack, is it not? Yes, it's also published. And uh, she wanted the soundtrack to be... Uh, uh, how do you say? Released. Print, released yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, altogether, I mean, what a legacy for Alberta Ballet. It's probably our most famous creation ever and uh, it's opened doors uh, uh, across Europe and the North American markets for us and so what do you want to say to the people of Ottawa close to where you were born come with yeah. your parents or just up the road in Wakefield what do you want to say to the people of Ottawa about Joni Mitchell's fiddle and the drum well the if you love her music and her songs you will be pleased if you want to sit in the theater with the lark the lights out and feel like you're close to Joni again and what she sings about and what her world is all about then this is a show to see for sure Thank you so much for your time, Jean Gamet. I'm so excited to welcome you back here in May, and I'm so excited to have Joni Mitchell's Fiddle and the Drum on our season this year. Uh, we're, we're, we're thrilled to perform it in this prestigious theatre. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this NEC Dance Podcast. Send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at necpodcasts.ca. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.